The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just got to be better, trying to be better every day. We feel your pain, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals losing to Tua and Tua's second game, but his first huge game. We're going to break down everything that happened on the ninth Sunday of the regular season, get you ready for a Monday night game that, hey, I can't even say it looked good on paper back in April when they scheduled it. We knew what this was going to be, right, Shireen? Good, mo- good morning. Good, good. I wish it was morning. Good that means the game nothing. tonight will already have been over. Good afternoon, Shireen. How are you? <laughs> I'm just trying to be better, Mike, every day. It's a process. Yeah, I felt bad for Kyler. And it's so funny. We were talking about this earlier. He, he's got a habit of, like, looking. I think he's looking to Mark Dalton, the Cardinals spokesman for help or either to vent frustration or like line like, <laughs> like <laughs> give me an idea how to deal with this crap but uh you know hey good competitor doesn't like to lose and it torments some of these quarterbacks who have a long track record of winning they get to the NFL they realize it's a meat grinder and you're going to get your losses and it's going to hurt and the last thing you want to do is sit and answer questions about it when you've lost we're going to sit here and talk about the wins and the losses and everything else from week nine let's get right to it Christian McCaffrey Panthers running back who returned to the lineup seven weeks after suffering a high ankle sprain against the Buccaneers in week two. He'll be on PFTPM tomorrow. He is day-to-day for the Carolina Panthers, according to head coach Matt Rule. There was a report earlier today that McCaffrey may miss some time with a shoulder injury. And, Shereen, here's what was going on yesterday as I was in the extended NBC viewing room, the distant NBC viewing room with the the connection that allows me to hear everything the guys like Chris Sims uh, may be saying Chris noticed the play when McCaffrey got injured on a hit near the sideline and then I started watching Christian McCaffrey carefully and you could tell he had discomfort that he was messing with his shoulder pads and moving his his arm around and after the game there wasn't much information and I went through some of the usual channels to try to get some info and I kept getting zero and it was one of those circumstances where it's not just the usual situation where they were ignoring me they were deliberately being quiet about it so something's going on with that shoulder McCaffrey is going to want to keep playing after missing so much time due to the ankle the question is Is it a pain situation? Is he at risk of further injury? What's really going on there? But day-to-day, to to me, implies they're going to let this guy play if he really wants to. Could he miss time? It just all depends on whether and to what extent it hampers his ability to play at the highest possible level. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Mike, I think you texted about the same time I texted and we were noticing the same thing with his shoulder. It was very obvious that that he was in a great deal of pain and went out of the game and he tried to come back for one or did come back for one play, but he immediately went out of the game and you could just really tell that it was bothering him. So it probably, hopefully is just going to be a pain tolerance thing where he can play with it, not in danger of making it any worse. I tell you what, though, Mike, I watched that whole game. I had that game, and he just makes such a huge difference for that offense. There are very few backs in the NFL that you say they make a difference. And normally, you, I'm along with MDS that you can throw any back in there, and your team's going to be okay. But there are a handful of special backs, you know, the Derrick Henrys and the Dalvin Cooks, the way he's playing, and Christian McCaffrey is one of those guys, and he just makes such a huge difference, especially in the red zone. When you look at what they did in the red zone, they were 4-for-4 four four on touchdowns yesterday. They're 8-for-9 on the season when they have Christian McCaffrey, and they're 10-for-21 in scoring touchdowns in the red zone when they don't have him. He's just a huge part of that offense, and they really need him out there if he can play, and you know he's going to want to play if he can, but you also think about his future and you don't want it to do anything that would that would need surgery or further uh, injure it. 
So you want to make sure he's okay. But if it's just a pain tolerance thing, I guarantee he's going to be out there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And look, it's one thing for us to say pain tolerance. Anytime a coach says it, I think you're maybe putting your guy out there a little bit because then it's on him if he doesn't play. Hopefully words like that won't be used. Hopefully we're just characterizing what the situation is. And McCaffrey, if it is pain tolerance, I guarantee you he will play because he got the big contract, as did other running backs. The other running backs are earning their contracts. He probably hasn't felt like he's earned his yet, and that is going to drive him to do whatever he has to do to play. I'm surprised they were able to keep him out of the lineup for seven weeks with the ankle injury. I don't think he's going to want to stand down, especially as he feels the opportunities for the Panthers to be relevant and competitive this year slipping away. They're now three and six. You don't have many more losses you can take at this stage of the season and still be alive for a wild card in a very competitive conference where right now the Rams hanging on to the seventh spot at five and three. So the Panthers need him and they need to start winning. And one of the teams they will be facing next the team they will be facing next we'll talk about them in a minute the Tampa Bay Buccaneers let's stay in the division though because the Atlanta Falcons made a roster move today as they start into their bye week Tack McKinley well he wanted out he got out and for McKinley it's not really much of a punishment I think the punishment is making him stay on the team waving him today is what he wanted. The only problem is he's got a path through waivers and he could end up with a team he doesn't want to play for. But I think the only team he didn't want to play for is the Falcons. So he'll take his chances. He'll roll the dice. And anywhere for the rest of the season is better than where he was. He'll be a free agent after the season ends unless someone would claim him. He all of a sudden goes off with 20 sacks over the next half of the season and they decide to franchise tag him. So McKinley getting what he wanted, getting out of Atlanta, and uh, last week he had to take to Twitter to criticize the team. He was fined for the gesture. But at the end of the day, he wanted out. Shireen, he got out. He got out. And I would be surprised if anybody picks him up off waivers. I think he'll, he'll be a, become a free agent. And I think he'll have a, a huge market. You look at teams, competitive teams like the Titans and the Seahawks, and they need pass rushers. Why wouldn't you roll the dice on him for – a, a low-risk deal, lots of incentives in there. And I know he's been injured, injured this season. He's played a total of 81 snaps, missed the last two games because of injury. He's only played four games this entire year and just wasn't good for the Falcons after they made him a first-round draft pick. But he has a chance, if he can get healthy, to go somewhere and make a difference for the rest of the year. And, and maybe he gets a big contract in the offseason if he can get it done somewhere else. I am looking at the first round draft picks from 2017. I believe that was his year. Am I right? Am I right? 2017. Yes, you are correct. Tack McKinley. He was the 26th overall pick. His contract is not fully guaranteed for the balance of this season, but the salary is only 1.858 million. I think that if you're going to roll the dice on the guy, claim his contract at a balance. Yeah. Yeah, at a balance of about 900000 for the next eight weeks, take it because it's not guaranteed. He has 655000 in skill, injury, and cap guarantees for this year. And, you know, when it's partially guaranteed, I don't know how that plays out. Is it, is it partial each week? Do you work at all? I should know this. I've been doing this for 20 years. But even then, that's not much because uh, you, you pick him up, you cut him, you can walk away from it with minimal risk. If you see something there, maybe he was a guy you really liked when he was coming out of UCLA, maybe Jim Mora Jr. And I know it's not technically junior Jim Mora, the elder will vouch for Tack McKinley. I remember having him on PFT live and he went on and on about Tack McKinley back in 2017. So I just think it's worth your due diligence because pass rushers are always in demand and there are plenty of teams that could use the help. And maybe there's just some buttons that need to be pressed on Tack McKinley to get the most out of him. But you've got some teams out there that I think could justify the risk. And it may just be that change of scenery. Shireen is everything this guy needs. Absolutely, Mike. And you look back on that draft 
You know, I wrote on Friday that the Cowboys had regret over two picks after Tack McKinley, who they really liked. They selected Taco Charlton. Well, you know who both of those teams passed up, right? T.J. Watt. And Falcons could have had T.J. Watt. I'm sure they're having the same regret that the Cowboys did. They picked the wrong pass rusher when you look at what T.J. Watt has done. And now as a candidate this year for Defensive Player of the Year, I think they they would have much preferred to have had T.J. Watt, but it didn't work out for them. But a lot of teams like this guy coming out of college, obviously, is a first-round pick for a reason. He's going to get a chance somewhere else. Now it's what do you do with that second chance? Do you go make the most of it and prove that you really are a good pass rusher or do you continue to do what you did at Atlanta, which wasn't very much in the course of 49 games. He had 17 and a half sacks. And let me just say this. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I am reminded of this from time to time. There are many things to like about the draft One thing that I loathe about the NFL draft is that the coverage consists of a nonstop parade of praise of every first-round pick, every year, every guy, all the upside, all the positive. The media is complicit in this manufacturing of hope arising from the notion that every one of these guys plucked off the board is going to be great and it's almost part of the contract that you sign to be part of the draft coverage that you're going to praise and praise and praise (laughs) these guys without ever acknowledging that you know what those first round picks half of them are going to not earn their money half of them are not going to be any good but no one wants to hear that this whole thing has been built up into this hype machine shireen where You ignore the fact that it is a crapshoot. You ignore the fact that you're rolling the dice. You ignore the fact that that Taco Charlton or Tack McKinley could have been T.J. Watt. Forget about that for a couple of reasons. First of all, we are collectively trying to sell hope, and nobody tunes in to see something other than hope. But also, if we acknowledge that half these guys are going to be busts, the fans will say, well, which ones? And the draft experts, even the most seasoned and skilled, will say, well, we don't know, to which the fans will respond, well, why the hell are we listening to you then? So that just that just bugs me that there's zero transparency, there's zero self-awareness by ESPN, NFL Network, any of the so-called draft experts to say, you know what, at the end of the day, we don't know what the hell we're doing and neither do the teams. <laughs> They don't, Mike, and that's what's so funny about it. And it's the same with free agency, too, frankly. I mean, these players change teams, and we say, oh, they're going to be great because they picked up so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I remember a few years ago, I remember when the Eagles had that huge offseason. They signed multiple huge names in free agency and and Vince Young tabbed them the dream team we've got the dream team now in Philadelphia that didn't work out so well for the Eagles either so you're absolutely right some moves you make are going to work some moves you make aren't going to work some draft picks are going to be good some are not going to be good the teams that that get above 50 percent usually are the teams that are consistently good you look at what the Steelers do year after year in the draft you look at other teams like that that's why they're successful, Mike. They have a higher success rate picking those guys than, than maybe other teams do. And here's the thing about free agents. Guys who become free agents become free agents for a reason. The team has had them in the building for four years. They know the guy inside and out, and you know what? They're letting him walk away. That usually should tell you all you need to know, but still, it's part of the machinery. It's yeah. part of the selling of hope, and Yeah, we're part of it, but at least we're willing to stand up and say, hey, folks, this is hardly the 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 cure that your bad team is looking for this offseason. All right. The Cowboys, one of the worst teams this year, are going to be looking for all sorts of cures in 2021. A couple of things said today by Stephen Jones, the Cowboys COO. And let me tell you, at a time when. There isn't a whole lot of information flowing because of the COVID-19 protocols and there isn't open locker room and there isn't Jerry Jones holding court after the game. The Cowboys still do a good job of filling the void. One day it's Steven, the next day it's Jerry. Then it's Steven, then it's Jerry. Today it's Steven, as it usually is on Mondays. He was asked about the possibility of the Cowboys having one of the top picks in the 2021 draft. And oh, oh, they're on track for that. And he was asked if they would consider taking a quarterback. Said Stephen Jones, Dak's our quarterback. We're so fired up about him and him leading us into the future. Now, look, 
I hope he's lying. Not not that they <laughs> don't want Dak, but I hope that the truth is, for the sake of the Cowboys organization and all the fans out there, I hope the truth is they will evaluate all options because that's what every team must do. Shereen, you can't take off the table the possibility of drafting Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or some other quarterback by the time we get to April and we know who the best candidates are. You can't just say we're not going to do that. You need to have everyone guessing. You need to have Dak guessing. You need to have the players who may be picked guessing. You, because there's a chance you're going to be able to trade that pick to somebody who wants a quarterback. You don't want to be on record saying we don't want that quarterback because sometimes your best trade leverage is maybe we'll just take them ourselves. So, look, I, I, I understand they're trying to create a certain image and paint a certain picture about the Cowboys organization at a time when there aren't many positive things to be said or done. But I hope like hell that for their sake, they will explore all options when the time comes, if they end up with one of the top picks. And as of right now, it looks like they will. Yeah, they're a top five pick right now, Mike. And and if you're in that position, I, I think you have to look at those quarterbacks. You have to. There, there's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. You have to take a look at them, especially since your franchise quarterback is playing under the franchise tag and he is unsigned for next year. I think that puts you firmly in a position to have to look at those quarterbacks and say, if we can't get this guy signed, can we afford Dak Prescott under the franchise tag next season? Or do we move on to somebody else who is going to cost way less money and roll our dice that Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence is better than Dak Prescott coming off an injury when we don't know how he's going to be because he will not have worked out at that point. Stephen Jones said Dak's ahead of his recovery schedule about four months it was supposed to take. So we'll see where he is, but they're not going to know a whole lot about his condition before uh, they have to make a decision on the franchise tag. So I think that puts them in a very difficult position and they need to keep all options on the table, as you said, Mike. Here's the reality as it relates to Dak Prescott. Unless there is some broader renegotiation of the CBA that changes the way that the franchise tag is calculated for a player who has a salary that guarantees him at a minimum a 20% raise over what his cap number was the prior year, and that's unlikely, even with the salary cap likely plummeting to $175 million, the Cowboys are looking at $37 million plus next year to tag Prescott again. With the cap dropping to $175, I guarantee you, $37 million for one year with Dak is more than what they would pay the number one overall pick for four years combined. That has to be part of the consideration if you're the Cowboys, if you end up with one of those top picks, and if you believe that one of those quarterbacks can be as good, just as good, just almost as good as Dak makes it dollar for dollar a much better deal to go with the younger player. And you finally solve this problem that you, the Cowboys, created by not getting Dak signed sooner. Another problem the Cowboys created, in the eyes of many of their fans, hiring Mike McCarthy to be the head coach, said Stephen Jones when asked whether McCarthy will be the coach in 2021. Absolutely unequivocal. And look, he can say whatever he wants in November of a failing season. If they would fire Mike McCarthy after the season ends, and I'm not saying they will, I'm not saying they should, but the last thing anyone is going to do is pull up this quote from November 9, 2020, and say, aha, you said absolutely unequivocal Mike McCarthy will be back, and you fired him, so so what do you... Well, what are you going to do? Nobody cares at that point. So I, it's just air. It's just noise. And I'm not complaining, Shireen. It gives us stuff to talk about, but to me... This assessment is meaningless to Mike McCarthy's future because if they stink for the rest of the year, it has to be on the table that he may be gone. Yeah, two things, Mike. He also said, Jerry Jones said, not Stephen Jones, but Jerry Jones said, uh, back before he fired Wade Phillips, when Wade Phillips was under fire, Jerry Jones pointed out, I've never fired a head coach in the middle of a season. It's not going to happen now. And I'm paraphrasing, but that was basically it. And he said it multiple times. So what happens? They go lay an egg against Green Bay. And what does he do the next day? He fires Wade Phillips. So anything's on the table, as we know. Absolutely, Mike. And we probably will pull the quote back out and say they did give him a, a vote of confidence. But they decided, you know, after the season, they changed their minds. People do change their minds. But I do think Mike McCarthy is back. 
I thought I saw progress with the team yesterday. The defense played much better than they have played. So maybe Mike Nolan is making progress on that defense. And, and they've made some changes and they put some young guys in there and they really played well. So we'll see what happens the rest of the season. I think it's really important. And Stephen Jones also talked about this today. Really important for them to establish Mike McCarthy's culture, what he wants, what he's asking, and they can do that the rest of the year. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not going to win the NFC East, even though they're still in the race. Let's be realistic about this. They've started four quarterbacks, but they can establish some things the rest of the season and build toward 2021. Best example of why we should put no stock in what Stephen Jones said about Mike McCarthy. It was during the 20. 10 season Wade Phillips was in jeopardy and Jerry Jones was yep. constantly being har harassed Shireen with the question of whether or not he would fire Wade Phillips during the season he had never fired a coach during the season I'm never going to do that I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it and then they get blown out by the Packers and they're embarrassed in the process and he fires Wade Phillips and and who cares if he previously said that the last thing he would do is fire Wade Phillips during the season but that gives coaches GMs, executives, owners, no real credibility. It creates headlines. It gives us things to talk about. But at the end of the day, it's worthless because they can change their minds whenever, however, and wherever they want. All right, Bruce Arians has not changed his approach when it comes to calling it like it is, although he was a little more subtle this time with Tom Brady after Brady had another clunker, his second clunker of the year against the New Orleans Saints. Here's Brady from or excuse me here's Arians from last night when he was asked about the failure of the offense to get Mike Evans the ball Mike was open a bunch in that ball game he just didn't he didn't get targeted that's all he was open it, Mike was open Now there was more that looks like it was from today and there was more from today about Arians being candid, not ever coming out and saying Tom Brady played poorly, but on the interception for the ball that was intended for Antonio Brown, that was a poor throw, right? There was an opportunity to get the ball to Antonio Brown on the first third down of the game, and we went to Gronk instead. So it doesn't hit in the face the way that we've seen past critiques from Bruce Arians, but when you weave it all together – Arians doesn't think Tom Brady had a very good game, which, guess what? He didn't have a very good game. But it's just so odd to be in this situation where, number one, Tom Brady has a really poor game, and number two, his coach is saying anything other than on to Cincinnati about it, Shireen. Yeah, a little passive-aggressive there, Mike, for sure. But, you know, he's right. I went back and watched. There was a play, the first play, first snap uh, from scrimmage, because the Saints kicked off of the second quarter. So it's 14-0 at that point. And Mike Evans just runs straight up the field. I mean, he's wide open. There's no one within 20 or 30 yards of Mike Evans. And he never saw him. Evans is waving his hand like, get me this ball. And that certainly could have changed the game because of the Bucs score there. It's 14-7. Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's a game at that point. Maybe that's all the Buccaneers needed. We'll never know because then the Saints went on to make it 21 and then 28 and then 35. And it was just an avalanche after that. But, you know, what I thought of, Mike, when, when I was listening to Brady, you remember the quote that Lamar Jackson said, I think it was again, the Chiefs are my kryptonite. I see the Saints as Tom Brady's kryptonite. He has been terrible against them in two games. He's had the most of his sacks have come in that game. Most of his interceptions have come in that game. He has just not been good this year in the two games against the Saints. So you do wonder if that's his kryptonite. And obviously they're probably going to have to play the Saints maybe in the postseason. They would have to hope the Saints get knocked off by somebody else before they meet them. But I don't know how the Buccaneers beat the Saints the way the Saints have taken care of them the two games this season. And now the Bucs are a game behind the Saints, and essentially they're two games behind that they have to make up over the balance of the season because if they finish with the same record, the Saints win the division by virtue of the head-to-head -head tiebreaker. And, you know, as we said earlier today, and I wrote something about it on PFT, Green Bay had a great weekend. First of all, they get their win taken care of on Thursday night. They get on the right track after being upset by the Vikings. They see the Bears lose, so the Packers own the NFC North this year. Shocker. Then they see the Seahawks lose, so the Packers are tied with the Seahawks in the race for the number one seed. And when the Saints beat the Bucs, that's great news for the Packers because the Bucs have the tiebreaker over the Packers.
but the Packers had the tiebreaker over the Saints because the Packers beat the Saints back in week three on Sunday Night Football. So it was a good weekend for the Packers, a great weekend, though, for the Saints, who have a pretty manageable schedule the rest of the way, who may be in position for the fourth straight year to have their hearts ripped out in the playoffs like they seem to always do. They need to avoid the Vikings in the postseason if they possibly can. The Vikings at 3-5 and five play at New Orleans on Christmas Day. That'll be an opportunity for the Saints to ensure that they don't have to face the Vikings again when the playoffs come around. NFL owners meeting on Tuesday virtually. There's the proposal for the playoff contingency plan that would entail 16 teams. Let's remember how this would get activated based upon what I was told last week. If any game is lost, they would go to 16 teams in the playoff field. And a game gets lost if after adding an 18th week, which is what they would do before just throwing their hands in the air and saying we can't get these games in, add the 18th week. If they don't get 256 games in by adding an 18th week, that's when they would go to 16 teams. And that's what they did in 1982 strike shortened season, nine total games played by every team. They went to eight and eight in the two conferences. They had a tournament. Washington won the Super Bowl, and nobody ever applied an asterisk to that. So we're, we're already at the point where a lot of teams have played nine. The rest have played eight. You know, it's almost like a complete game, right? We're almost to the bottom of the fifth. Is that what it is in baseball, Shereen? Bottom of the fifth is a complete game? Yeah, right. Or top of the fifth. If you play the top yeah. of the fifth, it's a complete game, right? Yeah, if the home team's winning, yeah, that would be a complete game. So it's a complete season. We're, we're there. We're, we're at a com- we're, it may not be a full season, but it's a complete season. And at one point during this odyssey, Shereen, the commissioner changed his phrasing from full season to complete season. Well, whatever. whatever. And look, the, the virus is winning if you haven't checked. But I think we're at the point where if there would be some sort of massive outbreak in the NFL, they'd have to take time to get under control. They still could get the playoffs in. There, There's not many more regular season games they would even have to play before they could go to the playoffs, have a tournament, and get to a Super Bowl champion. And, uh, you know, congratulations. Nine Sundays in, the NFL has played all of its games, Shereen. Yeah, and you look at what's gone on with the SEC today. It looks like they're they're well. They already have the Mississippi State Auburn game has been postponed. Uh, you look at what's happened in the Pac-12 and all these colleges, everything else, and the NFL's managed to get all their games in so far. And Mike, everyone would love a sixteen game turn, a sixteen team tournament, right? I mean, nobody's going to argue about that. I guess the number one seed would argue a little bit just because they wouldn't get the bye week, but. I think all of us as fans would love that. And how competitive would it be in week 17 or 18 or whenever the last week of the season is vying for those last couple of playoff bursts? I just think it would be totally exciting to come down to the end. But it also would mean we would lose games in there. And I certainly don't want to lose games. So I hope we don't go to that. But it would still be uh, exciting no matter how how many games they get in. The postseason would be really, really fun with 16 teams. Especially given the possibility that the one seed would be hosting an eight seed from their own division, which I think makes it a lot more uncertain for that one seed when they're facing a team. Let's say the Vikings go back to Green Bay where they upset the Packers. All of a sudden, that one seed isn't looking so good for the Green Bay Packers. All right, let's uh, take a break. M, what, what is that? What do we call it? MPM. QB. That's what it is. Thank you, Matt. MPMQB when PFTPM continues. A lot of letters. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. 
That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. These guys didn't even try to run the football today. You know, we didn't expect that to happen. We didn't think they would just totally abandon the running game. And uh, um, we had a real nice plan if they were going to run it. Um, so um, we, we have to be able to adapt better uh, to make sure that we can, we can turn it around faster, you know. It's very easy for Pete Carroll to so casually point out that he was outcoached on the day that news broke of his latest contract extension. Right. I mean, maybe if it had been last week, it'd have been a little more subtle, but we want to wait for the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed on all signatures before Pete Carroll comes out and says, yeah, you know what? Just wasn't our day. We thought they'd run. They passed. Oh, well, them's the breaks. Yeah, no doubt, Mike. It, it, you know, it, when you look at the, where these teams were, I mean, what Buffalo does best is pass the ball. They're ranked fourth in passing. What Seattle does worst is defend the pass. They're 32nd against the pass, which is why they're 32nd overall. So why you would go into that game thinking that Buffalo is possibly going to run, I don't know. And they ran 64 plays, and only 19 of those were rushes, and some of those were late after they were trying to run down some clock. So they went in with the intent to pass the ball. They did it. They did it really well. And and Josh Allen, I'm going to say it, he outplayed Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson had four turnovers, and that was a big reason that this team didn't win the game. And if you're looking at an MVP, I think the MVP race just got a lot closer after this game, Mike. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And look, I... I don't know who the favorite currently is. I guess it would be Patrick Mahomes, yeah. the guy that we take for granted. Yep. There, there, there's one guy. There's one guy. And uh, I, 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 he's not there yet. But if Dalvin Cook keeps generating 200-plus yards from scrimmage week in and week out and the Vikings somehow pull their way into playoff contention and get there, it'll remind me a lot of Adrian Peterson in 2012. Now, Cook's going to have to get 1,800, 1,900-plus rushing yards. He's on pace, frankly, for over 1,800, even though he missed a game and a half. But uh, I, I say we, we don't completely rule him out. It could be all these great quarterbacks cancel each other out. There'll be one non-quarterback for people to vote for. If he keeps this up, he could steal this thing. Yeah, and Mike, you know, one thing you look at, you look at the team with the best record and you look at their quarterback, right? Well, right now the team with the best record is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're not looking at Ben Roethlisberger, and he played pretty well yesterday. But you know why we're not looking at him? Because that defense is so good. And I think that's what's going to happen to Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger if it comes down to it. Even if they go 16-0, and I don't know that people are going to automatically vote for Ben Roethlisberger because that defense is so good. And so I think that's a problem for him in the MVP race. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, maybe if they win and end up with the best record in the NFC, maybe he's the guy you look to. But I I think it's totally up in the air right now, and I, I'm with you. I would vote for Patrick Mahomes probably today if I had to. Russell Wilson's right there. He's still in the race. But I do think it's changed my opinion uh, after this game, just the way he turned the ball over. Russell Wilson's got to play well the rest of the way. And they're asking him, back to how bad the defense was, they're asking him to be Superman every single week. And it's a lot to ask for a quarterback. And he just he, he obviously can't do that every week, what they're asking him to do. That defense has got to be better, which is why you look at a team like that for Tack McKinley, because they've got to do something to help that defense. And they were better with Jamal Adams. They were better with Carl. Dunlop, but they still ranked 32nd and they still gave up over 400 passing yards. Currently, Russell Wilson is plus 110 for the MVP. That means you bet 100, you win 110 bucks. Mahomes plus 250. Aaron Rodgers plus 400. If I were able to wager, and we're not allowed to, not that I would want to anyway because I'm too cheap to lose money, I'd think about Dalvin Cook at plus 8,000. Yeah, I'd, I'd be agreed. willing. I'd be willing to put a saw buck. I think that's 10 bucks on Dalvin Cook at plus 8,000. Absolutely. Um, okay, coach of the year very well could be John Harbaugh for the second straight year if he keeps making decisions like he did yesterday. And remember 
and, and you know, I we hear this from time to time, like when there's a team on the road and there's a close controversial call, the home team doesn't play it on the Jumbotron or whatever the hell they call those things now. Uh, and yesterday there was a play that nobody thought would potentially be overturned. Marcus Peters has the ball uh, and then he doesn't. It looks like an incomplete pass. Harbaugh told me after the game, I thought it was incomplete, but then he looked up and he saw the big board and he saw it replayed. And he saw Marcus Peters get two hands on the ball. He saw three feet hit the ground. He remembered that the rule now, when they finally tried to come up with an objective standard that meets the subjective gut-level feeling that we know it when we see it, they have the rule that says, if you have the ball and you get three feet down, it's a catch. So he threw the red challenge flag, concluding it was a catch, and now Riveron agreed. And Shereem, this was one where... I wanted to pounce. I wanted to say this is another example of Al Riveron just reading off of a card all the words he has to say, even if the words don't match the video. I had that story ready to go. And I watched the video one more time. And I watched it again. I watched it again. And I watched the feet while I watched, you know, with peripheral vision, the, the hands on the ball. Then I watched the hands on the ball while I watched the feet with peripheral vision. And you know what? Peters had both hands on the ball, and he got three feet down. And it doesn't have to trigger that inner, hey, that's a catch. If you have the ball in your hands and you get three feet down, it's a catch. Harbaugh was right, and Riverwan was right, even though when you watch it, it feels like it was wrong. Somebody in Indy was fired today, probably, Mike, for shutting up <laughs> on the big board. <laughs> or if they, want, if they weren't, they definitely were reprimanded for sure. But I, I was opposite. I, I didn't think he had control of the ball. And, you know, Reich said that he, that third foot really made the big difference, he thought, although he still disagreed that, that it was a catch. But I went back today and, and watched the play because I'm like, okay, well, if it was a catch, then it was a fumble. So I first looked on the play-by-play. Sure enough, they rule it a fumble. And then I watched to see if there was a clear recovery, who recovered the ball. And sure enough, the Ravens picked up the ball smartly. So if if the Colts had picked up the ball there, they would have they would have had the ball, and you know maybe they would have challenged. They would have had to challenge it because obviously the Ravens wouldn't have at that point. Uh, because it was a fumble. So that was an interesting point, part of the play, too, that no one's really talking about. And I think it, it t- defensive coordinators today, well, offensive coordinators both, should be telling their guys, go pick up the ball just to be sure, hand it to an official, because it could be ruled a fumble. Remember that screwy outcome from the Bears-Eagles playoff game 2018 where there yes. was something like this where the ball just laid there and the end yeah. result was – Even though it was a catch and a fumble, the end result was it was incomplete because there was nothing that could ultimately be overturned because nobody ultimately secured possession of the loose ball. That was that. All right, that's that for now when we return. Falcons running back Todd Gurley joins the program. You'll hear from him next right here on PFTP. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, 
They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Monday's PFTPM continues with the 2017 NFL Offensive Player of the Year, now in his first season with the Atlanta Falcons. Running back Todd Gurley, and he's here thanks to Pillsbury and the Welcome Home Project. Welcome to the program, Todd. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. You've been welcomed home, sort of, back to Georgia where you went to college. How's it feel to be back where you, you played for the Bulldogs? Um... It feels great, man. It definitely feels great. And I think that's that's the whole point of it, um, to be able to just to come back home, um, being able to to partner up with Pillsbury and Operation Home Front to to help bring military families, um, you know, back home, give them a home and help them transition them to regular civilian life. So I think that's just the whole thing of just being me being able to just come back to Georgia. You know, not only being able to feel home on the field, but like off the field, being able to get back into the community, um, you know, play for the city of Atlanta. Um, think about, you know, just doing stuff in the community and, and just giving back. What has stood out the most to you so far during this first season with the Falcons? Um, just, I mean... It's just been a, you know, a weird year, first of all, you know, obviously with, with the, you know, the pandemic and you have the election, then you have the season, um, season not going well, like we thought it was at the beginning, but, um, you know, being able to pick things up and, and then being able to still try to do my stuff, you know, off the field, um, you know, obviously can't really do much stuff hands on, um, obviously. So it's, it's been, I've been, it's been going, it's been going well. It's been going well. You got the holidays coming up. So I'm excited about that, you know, being able to just, you know, not only see myself with my family and my friends, but my teammates and, and, and everyone around, you know, the, the nation, especially after the year we had. So um, that's why it's just happy, just like happy just to be able to just do the stuff that I'm doing, you know, be able to provide um, Brittany and Trevor, um, and their son, Noah, um, a, a new home, you know, um, being able for them to be able to have, have a place to be at, to, to feel welcome, um, to just to feel home. And, you know, there's nothing, nothing better than that than to have that during these times, especially during the holiday. Tell me a little bit more about how and why you got involved with that Welcome Home project. Um. It goes back to, like I said, being able to to come back to Georgia, the state of Georgia, um, not only try to, you know, make a statement on the field, but just to try to make a statement off. Um, there's so much, so much things that need to be done in this world. And, you know, a great city of Atlanta and to be able to be a fan of Pillsbury my whole life and, you know, be able to partner up with them. Um, never in a million years I would have thought of an opportunity like this to be able to to help someone um, and provide them, you know, with a home. So I just want to say thank you to Pillsbury and Operation Home Front for being able to get me involved in, um, you know, to the community, um, to the state of Georgia, the city of Atlanta, um, you know, just to represent something, you know, bigger than myself. Not only it's not even about me, it's about, you know, um, you know, Trevor and, and Brittany, um, you know, for them to be happy, them to feel home. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way than just, just to keep doing the stuff that I'm doing, um, you know, little by little, one by one. And just thankful for, for Pillsbury for being able to not only um, provide me with this opportunity, but for, to provide the military family, you know, with an opportunity to be in a, a, a home, a, a brand new home at that. I'm going to take you to a place where you definitely have become at home in recent years, and that's on the football field. You mentioned that the Falcons started off slowly, three and four, three and one, excuse me, over the last four games. However, when do you think things turned in the Falcons' direction? What was the moment? Mm, when I messed up that um, Detroit game and scored, <laughs> and we figured out. <laughs> we figured out. We, we, we were we were a lot closer to winning in that game than we were on the other one. So um, we just got it together, 
we got it together. I think everybody just really got tired of, of being in those same situations, even though we still try to make those situations come up. But we're more comfortable now. We know how to finish those games. We've been in those games. And it was more just like enough is enough. We know what we have. We know what we, what we, what we can and what we can't do. And everyone just needed to step up. You know, it's it's in every running back's instinct to get to the end zone. It almost felt like there was a magnet just pulling you. How, how, how what, what are you experiencing in that moment as you try to slam on the brakes and avoid breaking the front end of the goal line? Um, clumsiness, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> the way I fell, it was just like slow, almost like rolled my ankle. Um, yeah, man, just just as a football player, especially as a running back, just kind of just really just doing my job, uh, knowing the situation, but just going through the hole, um, trying to still run hard and protect myself. You know, I didn't want to just try to go through there tiptoeing and then, you know, somebody blast me now, I'll be out for the game. But, um, you know, it was a learning experience. You know, as m- many situations as, as I've been in in four minutes and been down, I done went down. You know, it can go on the opposite end as well. So, you know, um, I'm glad that happened. Um, We've we definitely been able to be a better team from that, not only from that, but um, just from every, you know, loss that we, we dealt with this year. You've got nine games done. Your bye week is upon us. You're averaging just about 18 carries a game. What's your ideal workload at this point? I guess that. <laughs> I guess, I guess that, man. So, um, you know, it's been some tough yards. We've been, we've been trying to get things done, you know, trying to get in the end zone. Um, but trying to help Matt out, help the pass game out. So, body's feeling good. Just got to get myself right and get ready for the game, you know, the week after next. I'm always fascinated by the comparisons from quarterback one team to another I know you've only been in Atlanta half a season, but can you can, do you have a sense of similarities, differences between Matt Ryan and Jared Goff? Yeah, they both rich as hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Quarterbacks are funny to me, bro. They just like you know they're good dudes, though, Matt. You know, sometimes I just sit back and I just like laugh because he's. No, he's very demanding. He's very demanding. And, you know, as he should, you know, he's a guy who's been in the league for, for quite a while. So, um, and, you know, you just see the difference between the age of just the reactions between Matt and, and golf. You know, golf's more laid back. He's chill. He's young. I'm pretty sure 10 years from, from now he's going to be, you know, um, very responding to the coaches as he is with the players. So, um, and then just being comfortable. And you got to prove yourself in this league, man. You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight, as you know. Um, you know, it's year by year. And for someone to do it, you're going to respect someone um, or you're going to look at someone different um, that's been doing it 10 years compared to five, you know. So just got to be able to just – I don't know, man. I don't know. I just got to rambling just then. You referred to the fact that they're both rich as hell. When you talk to other running backs around the league, is there ever any, like, you know, I don't get it. These guys are making $30 million plus per year. We're the ones doing the dirty work. We're the ones busting our asses. And, and we got to fight and scratch and claw just to get to $10 million per year. Something's not right here. Do you guys talk about that? Mm, not really. We just stay in our lane. We look. We just happy that we got a job, so we ain't gonna complain about. <laughs> we ain't gonna complain about that. You start worrying about it a little bit too much, then you're gonna be at the house, and then you ain't you really gonna be making nothing. So, um, I'm blessed either way it goes, man. You know, um, can't never count anyone else's pockets. You have to, um, you know, just count your blessings. You know what makes you happy, as long as you and your family are protected and safe. And, you know, that's all that matters. And you're right. You do need to count your own pocket. And it's important to make sure that everything's in your pocket that should be in your pocket. I haven't seen an update on the question of whether or not the Rams have settled up with you and paid you everything they owe you. Have you gotten your check from them yet? Yeah, they got me right, man, June 2nd. 
maybe a couple, couple months late, but you know, better late than never, I would say. An update on Ben Roethlisberger. He left yesterday's game briefly with a knee problem. It turns out it is a knees problem, Shireen. Both knees have been injured for Ben Roethlisberger, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Media. There is optimism that he will play Sunday against the Bengals. That is a sneaky, tough game for the Steelers because the Bengals have been in a lot of their games, and the Steelers have had only one blowout win all year. We'll have to watch the injury report and see how Ben's able to move on Sunday. Mike, that was a tough hit he took. I mean, he was kind of one player threw him into Demarcus Lawrence, Gilmore threw him into Demarcus Lawrence, and he bounced his head, too. I was surprised they didn't pull him out of the game for a concussion check, but he immediately grabbed for that left knee, and you didn't you didn't see the right knee, but now they're saying both knees were injured, and he did leave, let through four consecutive completions, including the touchdown, went to the locker room, and uh, they, they got the ball back, so he missed three plays, but he played that entire second half. I'd be surprised if he doesn't go, um, but obviously it's something we're going to have to watch all week. A couple quick questions. Let's get him in before we go. Dr. J144, is there a chance Matt Nagy is the issue with the Chicago offense? He's been there for three years now, and they're still not explosive at all. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think everything's on the table, but I do think the quarterback matters, and I do think offensive weapons matter, and I just don't think they have that. When you look, they're ranked 29th in offense, 32nd rushing. They, they don't have the running back to make the yards. The offensive line's not very good. They've got a lot of problems on that offense and a lot to address, but I would like to see Matt Nagy get some time with, with some good weapons and to see what he can do because he did it in Kansas City when, when he was with Andy Reid in that offense. They don't have the pieces to make the offense work. And at some point, you have to say, why don't they have those pieces? They need to go get those pieces. Matt, Yvonne, are the Dolphins contenders now for a wild card spot? I, now, they, they were. This past weekend just confirms it, right, Shereen? Absolutely. I'm, I'm right there, 5-3, and three, and they're tied with three other teams at 5-3, and three, and there are five teams that have a better record. But I started looking at their, their schedule, and I see four more wins in there for sure. I think they get to 9 and, and maybe even to 10. Tonight, Patriots-Jets a combined 2-13. and 13. Give me one reason, Shireen, to watch tonight's game other than it's our job to do so. Well, I think we're going to see maybe somebody exercise some ghosts. Remember the last time they played, they had the ghosts. Uh, or see more Sam of them. Sam Darnold said he was seeing ghosts. Or maybe see more ghosts. There you go. I don't know a good reason, Mike. See what Cam Newt can do, I guess. Maybe the black cat will come back. I know Halloween was more than a week ago, yeah. but the black cat was there for a gi- Was it a Giants game? Last year on a Giants Monday Cowboys. night at Life Stadium, yeah. it was Giants-Cowboys. Yeah. That's right. Hey, same uh, you know, same geographic region different conference afc east maybe the black cat returns that's a reason to watch it reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keep for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand